0: Hello friends, it's me, the president of Chickenlandia. Did you know that I have a new book that is now available for purchase? You heard that right. It's called Let's All Keep Chickens, the down-to-earth guide to natural practices for healthier birds and a happier world. It's now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, and more. For more information on how you can grab your copy, just click the link in the show notes it's so exciting i can barely handle it okay on with the show welcome to chickenlandia's 100 friendly podcast Bok talk this show will help you learn all about how backyard chicken keeping can be fun entertaining and stress-free here's your host The president of Chickenlandia! Hello friends, welcome to Chickenlandia and welcome to Bok Talk, your 100% friendly backyard chickens show. So I have something really fun for you guys today. It is an episode that I actually did on YouTube and then I'm expanding on it here for my podcast. Basically, what I did is I asked my community on YouTube to send me questions. I said, you know, ask me anything about chickens and I will answer your questions. Well, I ended up getting so many questions (laughs) and the original video was like, 45 minutes long and my editor was like I you know I think we need to cut this down. <laughs> so we did, we cut it way back, but I had I have like the audio for it and even though I'm in my chicken yard so you're going to hear some chicken noises in this episode, which I think is actually kind of cute. Um it sounds great and I didn't want it to go to waste. So this is the original ask me anything that I recorded. I am putting it here for you guys in podcast form. As always, this podcast was brought to you by the folks at My Favorite Chicken and by the folks at Small Pet Select. So make sure you check out those links in the show notes. And without further ado, here is the episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to Chickenlandia. My name is Dahlia. I'm a backyard chicken educator, also known as as the president of Chickenlandia. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> Raising chickens has been the best way for me to find peace and joy in my life, and I want to help you find that too. Oh my gosh, little mama, you are being very disruptive in class. You... <laughs> here, here. Okay, okay, I'll put some food down here. Okay, uh, look, uh, uh, there's your food. And she's dirty. <laughs> Okay, it has been a long week. (laughs) So I'm just going to get to it. Let's get to it. Are you going to be loud this whole time? Do I have to put you back in the other spot? Okay, the first question is from Jamie Hotchkiss9033. I've always been told that pine chips can cause upper respiratory infection in chickens. Is it okay for me to put pine chips in the coop? What I want to start out with is just using the example of cedar, using cedar shavings in the coop. Generally, most of the most popular educators are in agreement that you shouldn't use cedar in the coop. I think there's maybe one or two people that are like, oh, it's okay. Um, Cedar has been used by people for many years. I know a lot of old-time farmers use it. Um, I have Personally, I have a friend that uses it in their coop. And the reason that they've made that decision is that, you know, and I can't really speak for them, but in general, this is how it seems, that they understand the risk, you know, there's a level of risk, and they're dealing with something that they feel is more of a risk that can be solved by using cedar shavings, and that is mites and lice in the coop. Cedar is really good at repelling mites and lice. Okay. So, you know, I have a friend that he was like, look, I, I was just dealing with mites and lice over and over again. I just, you know, I felt like I just couldn't deal with it. I've got, he's got hundreds of chickens. It's not like my coop where I've I've got, you know, 30 something chickens. He's got hundreds of chickens and he's like, I just switched to cedar and I never had a problem after that. And I know that there's some controversy around that, but I'm willing to deal with that, you know, in, in order to, mitigate the risk of mites and lice. So I completely get where they're coming from and I'm telling you that example because pine actually has some of the same properties that cedar has that could make it possibly uh, irritating to a chicken's respiratory system. It does seem to be way much less of a risk and I'll tell you right off the bat I use pine shavings in my coop Um, I've never had a problem with it. Now, of course, that's just one example. It's not science. Um, The studies that I have seen that people refer to when they say that they're concerned about pine, I'm not completely convinced by the studies because there are so many different variables involved. The studies that I have seen that people use when they're saying that pine is dangerous for chickens I'm not completely convinced by them. I'm not saying that they don't have a point. They certainly do because the studies do show some effect on on workers that are working in places where they're dealing with pine, either like furniture factories or uh, mills where they're cutting pine. Um, but those have s- so many different circumstances than would be in a chicken coop. The other studies I've seen are with other animals other than chickens. There may be a study on chickens and I just haven't seen it. Okay. All that being known, I am very hesitant not to recommend pine because pine is highly accessible. It is really accessible and it's cheap. So, you know, for the most part, like, I feel comfortable using it. So for me to say, oh, you know, I don't think you should use it because it's bad. Like, I, that's not my stance on it. I'm just not convinced when the studies that I've seen, there's just so many different variables involved. Like, it's just a completely different scenario. There's a big difference between a human being being exposed to all that pine dust that happens in a sawmill then it would be for a chicken in a chicken coop. Okay, is there possibly some risk? Maybe. I really feel like, considering the studies I've seen, considering um, the lifespan of a chicken, considering the availability of pine, and just my own personal experience, I'm not going to throw the the baby out with the bathwater because of that. That being said. You know, everything that I've told you, if you hear this and you're like, well, you know, I still just don't want to risk it. There's so many other things that you can use. You know, you can use chopped straw. um, You can use aspen shavings, which still has some of those same properties that cedar does, but it's way less um, and it's less than pine. Um, and there's hemp, um, you know, I don't know, maybe someone somewhere is saying hemp is bad. (laughs) I haven't heard that yet. Um, and then of course some people like sand. I'm not a huge fan of sand, but a lot of people like it. It works for them. So, you know, if you're concerned about it, just don't even think twice about it. Like just switch, switch over. Okay. To something else so that you can feel good about going forward with it. Okay. I hope that helps. Uh, But like I said, you know, I use pine, and I love my chickens. I love them. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the next question. This is from at Ricky Nudson, and they said, Hi, Chickenlandia. Hi. (laughs) My question is, did you ever keep quails in the poultry world? Um, I did have quail. I had button quail. When I had a farm store a hundred years ago, I had a farm store in a place called Linden, Washington, and we had button quail there. I believe the quail uh, belonged to a, someone that worked there, um, but we all pitched in and took care of them, and it was so much fun. They laid these little itty-tiny eggs, and I absolutely love them. Um, you know, I don't really have a setup for quail. Quail don't live super well with chickens, so I'd have to keep them separate. Um, but, you know, one day, maybe, maybe. Okay, at literally lemons <laughs> 2340. Are untreated Timothy Hay bales safe in the chicken run? Not the coop, but the run. So the short answer is yes. I do believe that it is safe to have Timothy Hay bales in the chicken run, with the caveat that there could possibly be an elevated risk of a chicken eating too much of the Timothy hay or just not like breaking it apart when they eat it and ending up with an impacted crop, okay? Now, my feeling about this in general is that If a chicken is getting an impacted crop from eating, uh, you know, roughage like this, they likely have other issues going on because they should be able to process that. And they also shouldn't be gorging on it. Um, If they are gorging on it and they aren't processing it and you're ending up with impacted crops... I would obviously discontinue the Timothy Hay bales um, and find another way to insulate the run. Cause that's how, that's what I assume that you're using the bales to kind of just add some extra insulation during the winter time or possibly give the chickens something to do during the winter time. Um, so yeah, I would weigh those risks. You know, I think there's probably some people that are like, well, this is what I have. I really need that extra insulation. Um, my chickens are nice and healthy and, and, uh, doing very well otherwise, so this is what I'm going to do. And I think you just have to weigh that and go with your gut on it. All right. At seriously, at seriously, (laughs) seriously, (laughs) how involved do your husband and children get with the chickens? Or do they just let you tend to your flock by yourself? Do they share your enthusiasm or steer clear, LOL. So, yeah, you know, my oldest, he helps. He helps a lot when I'm out of town uh, because I do leave out of town and do seminars and stuff. So when I do that, he helps. Uh, My littlest one likes to help. The first man supports me uh, (laughs) with everything I do, and he doesn't deal with the chickens day to day. He did build the run, you know, the original run that I had here you know, the, the the first run that we built here, he built that and he did an excellent job on it. So he does love the chickens, but he just, he admires them from afar. <laughs> uh, at Tina Murphy 7120, I have five hens that will be 18 weeks old at the end of November. I wonder what is the best way to switch them from grower to layer feed. Um, so you can totally switch them cold turkey. Uh, I've never had a problem with that. Some people say, oh, well, they, they're not eating their layer feed. They will not starve. Like they, they are going to eat their layer feed. Okay, but um, if you have a problem with them just not liking it at first, you can do it gradually. So just give them a you know portion of their grower feed and then start adding in the layer feed and transition them over slowly that way. But if you if you are out of l- grower feed, just go ahead and switch them over to layer. They should be absolutely fine. At Evie Silky. I love observing my chickens and their relationships to each other. I have some girls that clearly have a BFF, but people tell me I'm imagining things. Do your girls have BFFs? Uh, she means best friend forever. <laughs> uh, yes, you're not imagining things. Like, yes. Like, my, my chickens have their little friends. They they get in little cliques that they hang hang around with, and that is, like, totally normal. Everybody that has chickens knows about that. That chickens will pair up, or they'll get into little groups, and that's who they they will, will generally be around throughout their day. So yes, chickens have VF, VFFs. You're not imagining things, and they have. There's like boyfriend and girlfriend chickens too, because like, Bubbleicious and Charlie, they love to be together all the time. So <laughs> there you go. At Markle's nine eighty, Markleese at Markleese nine eighty four. Are the chances of two roosters getting along better if they are siblings? Um, yes. Or if they are brooder mates, the chances are better for them to get along as they grow into adults and their hormones start to kick in. That being said with roosters, you always have a contingency plan. Always. Okay. Because like even bubble, bubble yum and um Zorro, They grew up together, and they loved each other, and then they started fighting a little bit. They got got over it, but I had to, like, really consider, oh, my gosh, do I need to rehome one of them? And I I did end up uh, rehoming Bubble Yum, but that was because I just had too many roosters. But um, have your contingency plan and make sure... That in case it doesn't work out and in case fighting happens and you just can't get a hold of it, that you have an alternative plan that you can go with. Okay? And if you have that figured out beforehand, it's going to be way less stressful for you. At Eerie love 8 uh, when you bring in a rescue from a place where disease may be present, how do you know when it's time or okay to integrate the chicken into your flock? So no matter how long i wait, no matter how long i do a uh, a quarantine. There is no guarantee when you bring another chicken into your flock, especially if you know that there was disease in the other in the other flock that you're bringing this chicken from or chickens from. There's no amount of time that is going to make it a zero risk transaction, okay? You're taking a risk anytime you bring another chicken from another flock into your flock. That's just That's just the way it is, okay? You know, it's important for you to know that so that you can be prepared going into it. I'm not saying don't do it, but you need to understand that there is always going to be a level of risk if you're bringing a chicken in from another flock, especially if that chicken is from a flock where there was disease. And if I were you, if I knew that there was disease, especially if I'm new at chicken keeping... Um, you know, I know there's disease in this other flock. I, I wouldn't bring chickens into my flock from that flock. You know, I may do it because I, I understand that and I have a lot of resources um, and I've been doing this for a long time. But if I if it were 10 years ago, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because it can it can create a really rough situation for you. OK, so there it is. <laughs> OK, Uh, the next question at urban chicken mama, my bard rock Zoe ended up being a Joey, (laughs) like a kangaroo. (laughs) Uh, My friend adopted him a couple days ago. How long should she wait to integrate her, him into her seven girl flock? So generally, it is easier, this is generally, generally it's easier to integrate roosters in with a flock of hens than it would be to integrate hens in with a a flock of hens, okay, or a flock of hens and and roosters. That's because of the flock dynamics. You know, a rooster is going to come into a flock with a different kind of attitude with a different kind of understanding about where he is in the pecking order than a hen is going to enter a flock. Okay, um, so a lot of times that integration pro- process that we always talk about in Chickenlandia will be less that the 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 time that you need to do that that integration. It will take less time than it would if you were doing hens-to-hens, okay? That being said, it depends on the personality of the rooster that you're integrating into your flock. It certainly depends on whether or not there's already an established rooster in that flock. Like that, there can be fighting, that happens, that's, you need to have a plan B in case it doesn't work when you're trying to integrate or a rooster into a flock that already has a rooster. Um And then it also depends on the personality of your flock, okay? Because every flock has its own kind of personality. The other thing that matters is the size of the rooster. So if you've got this little itty-bitty... Boy, you know, (laughs) he's tough. He is tough. He's got a big heart, okay? But he's a tiny little rooster. If you are integrating him into a flock of big hens, they're probably going to beat him up, okay, if you just throw him in there. You need to do a slow integration process with him. I would just tell your friend to, you know, keep an eye on them And when she feels like, you know what, I think they would be okay if I put them together. You know, I mean, it's possible that she will have to put them away again if there's some fighting or whatever. But it could also be possible that he just integrates really well with the flock and they accept him. So I would tell her to try and just, uh, this is one of those situations where you you listen to your intuition and you follow your heart and you go with that, okay? Okay, at... Ian Sawyer, 9812. Um, Realistically, what is a good number of chickens to start with for a first-time chicken owner? So what I usually recommend is one chicken per household member with a minimum of four chickens. If you can have four chickens wherever you live, if that's within the law. okay. Because some places they're like, you can only have two chickens or you can only have three chickens. If you can have four chickens, that would be the minimum that I would say to start out with. And the reason for that is, you know, if you start out with two chickens and you, you know, even if they're like baby chicks or whatever, and you lose one, then you're going to have one lonely baby chick or one lonely chicken. And you're going to have to fix that really quickly. Like you're going, because they can get depressed. They're flock animals. They need other members of their flock in order to feel secure. So you're going to have to get, you know, find a baby chick that's around the same age or find uh, another chicken. And then you have to do, if it's an adult chicken, you have to do an integration process that can be stressful for new new time chicken keepers. Okay. And then, you know, you could do, you could have three chickens. You could end up with an issue where you only have two. And so I just, I just really feel like four is a good place to start. Okay. Just for the flock dynamics and everything, start out with four. That is my recommendation at simply planimals and more. I don't know if I'm saying that at simply pl animals and more. Okay, uh, how do I train my new chicks to go into the coop? Okay, so if you have baby chicks and you raise them in a brooder and you take them out into the chicken yard and at night. Instead of going into the coop, they're all, like, huddled underneath the coop or next to the coop, and they're, like, sleeping on the floor. It's because they just, they don't have mama hen to tell them where to go, okay? So you're being their mama hen. So it's possible that you will have to pick them up and physically put them in the coop, you know, preferably you put them on the roost so that they start to learn where to go, Okay? And there's no problem. There's no problem with doing that. They're gonna figure it out very quickly. It's just that when they don't have mama to show them where to go, sometimes that instinct isn't uh, as natural to them. For other chickens, they'll just go into the coop. But a lot of baby chicks need some help with that. So I wouldn't worry about it. Just just pick them up, put them on the roost. They're gonna get it. I promise. I promise they're gonna get it. Okay. At Happy Air Homestead, when I first started bringing. Home my chicklins, my chicken children. (laughs) They put in parentheses. Uh, The starter coop's roost was literally on the floor. While I am upgrading currently, is sleeping on clean bedding really as detrimental as people make it out to be, as opposed to roosting? So you know, of course, it's always best for a chicken to act out their natural instinct. It's best for them to go to her, the roost at night. You know, I just mentioned that baby chicks sometimes won't do that. Young chickens sometimes won't do that. They'll sleep on the floor. That's not a big deal. Like they're they're in the middle, they're kind of learning. And if you're in a transition and you're building a coop for them and they're having to sleep on shavings for a little while, I would not worry about that at all. First of all, you know, they're in a transition. You're b- building a coop and making roosts, so it's it's a temporary thing. And second of all, it's like they're not in a factory farm. You know, <laughs> you know if someone's going to come after you and say, that is detrimental, it's like, uh, come on, come on. It's not that big of a deal. Like, this is temporary. You're doing great. Keep going for it. Keep being a good chicken parent. Okay, at Maisie the blind hen. What is your number one favorite chicken breed of all time? What's the name of your favorite chicken that you have? And can we see them? And why are they your favorite? (laughs) Uh, I don't have a favorite chicken. I tell my chickens I love you all equally. Isn't that right, little mama? (laughs) I love her. (laughs) No, I, I, I do have some that I'm a little bit more close with. Right now, I'm really close to my special needs chicken. Uh, her name is Flo, although my my 10-year-old has started calling her Vecna for <laughs> whatever reason, <laughs> like from Stranger Things. Um, so I'm getting really, really attached to Flo because I'm spending so much time with her every day. So, you know, I mean, I do get close with some of them, but when they when I lose them, it's always hard, you know. Um, as far as my favorite chicken breed, I think um, Old English gay, Game Bantams. So I have three little Old English Game Bantams, Itty Bitty and Boop. And they are definitely, I just love them. They're just so cute and they're little and they're funny. They're talkative. So I really, and they're very hardy. And um, I love that about them. Old English Game Bantams. Love them. Okay. uh, At Janie Welch 9983, my flock has blackhead disease is it carried through the egg if I incubate them myself? P.S. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> um it is it's not transmitted vertically so uh it's not it won't wouldn't be transmitted to the egg that being said they can catch it at when they're pretty young it is it's more dangerous for turkeys okay so because of blackhead disease sometimes people will not want to keep turkeys and chickens together because chickens can have it it's not that serious but then the turkeys can get it from the chickens and they get really sick the way that it's transmitted is actually kind of complicated because, you know, the life cycle of this protozoa, which causes blackhead, is is pretty complicated and it's pretty fascinating. But the way that they can get it is from a certain worm that chickens can get in their intestinal tract. Um, they have that worm. It doesn't really bother them that much, you know, it, it, but then they expel the, wor- the worms or the eggs and then another chicken will eat those eggs, and then they will become infected. Um, the other way that they can get it is from earthworms. So basically, just being around each other, they can they can contract this disease. One thing I think that you should keep in mind is that you know when when you're in the middle of this, if you're in the middle of an outbreak, you should consider getting control of that before you incubate eggs. Um, I know that the the pull to do that is very strong, so I completely understand. Um, but if possible, you might consider moving where your chickens are living so that they're on like a new area of, of of ground so that they're not just like totally reinfecting themselves. Or maybe just talk to a vet if you can. I know some people can't do that. If you can, talk to a vet about some some things that you could possibly do uh, to just boost their immune systems and there's a lot of natural things you can do to boost their immune systems Keep your keep your chickens really really healthy. okay I know you have turkeys too because that was another part of your question that I didn't read. Um, just try and keep everybody really healthy and then when you feel like you kind of have a grasp on it then you can start incubating incubating again okay but if you've already started the incubate incubation, <laughs> don't worry just just go for it and um, you know, That's what we're all doing. We're taking one day at a time. Okay, so good luck. At half dozen home, uh, mycoplasma gallisepticum. I can't get any information on it and what it means long term for my roosters and hens. So um, this person is talking about a disease called, it's a bacterial disease called uh, mycoplasmosis. Um, it is extremely common where I live. Extremely common. Okay. Um, like I said, it's a bacterial disease. It can be treated with uh, antibiotics. Like usually if you can get a hold of some good antibiotics from a vet, um, a lot of times it can be survivable for most chickens. Sometimes chickens don't survive Um, And then some chickens, they don't have any symptoms at all. They're just carriers, okay? Other chickens, they might have mild symptoms that can be solved with just some rest and relaxation. I'll leave a link to the uh, rest protocol video that I have. It's R-E-S-T. That's just a way to take care of chickens when they're sick. And then I also have a, a podcast that I did where I talk about a protocol for respiratory illness for chickens or respiratory problems for chickens. And I will link that as well. The, these are just supportive care ideas for chickens that have respiratory issues going on. So the thing about mycoplasma gallisepticum is that it is, you know, once it is in a flock, it is very likely that your flock is going to be carriers like for the remainder of their lives. Okay. That being said, it is not a death sentence for your whole flock. Okay. You, you know, you just need to take really good care of your chickens, do some immune boosting things for them. Um I, I will tell you that I think it's a possibility that that's what Philippe had. Okay. And if you know, Philippe was my little rooster. I had him for ages. He was chronically ill. So, um, I mean, he did have some bad complications. Like he had this growth basically in his head, but I think originally he probably had some kind of bacterial thing going on. Okay. And he needed antibiotics a lot. Um, I had another chicken named Tupi that also would occasionally get, you know, she would start sneezing. She would have these respiratory issues and, I would treat her accordingly, you know, usually homeopathically for Tupi. Um, she didn't need home, uh, antibiotics, but eventually she passed away, okay? So what I just want to make sure that you know is that it's not a death sentence, but it is something to consider, especially if you're rehoming chickens, okay? You need to disclose what's going on um, and let people know the possible risk that they could be inheriting if they're taking chickens from your flock, okay? The symptoms of mycoplasma would be like, you know, watery eyes, discharge coming from the nares, swelling in the in the sin, sinus passages, well, you know, swelling in the face, uh, sneezing. Just generally, you can tell the chicken doesn't feel great. And sometimes you'll see those symptoms and the chicken is acting normal. Um, but that doesn't mean that they they don't have something going on. They're just, they're just handling it really well. So that's what you can look for. If you can't get a hold of antibiotics, you can do oregano oil at a super-duper-duper low dose with like one drop – really well mixed in with a gallon of water. I know a lot of people do that. That can be kind of like a natural antibiotic. Also colloidal silver is a natural antibiotic. Um, there are some oregano supplements that are on the market that you can use with your chickens that are made specifically for chickens. So that might be an option for you. Um, But, you know, this is one of those things where it's just like you take it one day at a time, you treat chickens when they get sick, just like you would a member of your family, and you take into consideration, and you take it into consideration if you're rehoming your chickens, okay? Okay, at Sarah McAggoo, (laughs) McAgg, I'm sorry, (laughs) 3281, I'm probably saying that totally wrong, (laughs) McCog. Um, Are there ever times for you when chicken keeping becomes more stressful than enjoyable or times that you feel overwhelmed by it? If so, what do you do in those moments? So I was just talking about this very recently because as you guys know, I had a situation where I had some chickens pass away very unexpectedly and it, it was tough. And then I thought that my chickens were being, you know, that they had been poisoned possibly by a mushroom in the yard um, you know, or maybe they had some kind of disease. I still don't know exactly what happened. Um, I'm I still have Flo and she's doing really well. I still have Charlie. She's doing really well. Um, but I don't know what happened. And when it was happening, it was really stressful. And I even talked about this question because I had seen this question before I shot that video. Sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes I think about giving up, but you know every time I have that thought, I look out into my chicken yard. And I see my chickens pecking and scratching and I, I feel that, that peace inside. And I know that these are chickens that are not languishing in a factory farm. And I also know that it's so good for me to have them. Even in the hard times, it is so good for me to have them and to be out here and have that opportunity to connect with nature. So I'm sure like if, if I asked them, they would say, Oh, I, I'd rather be in Chickenlandia, you know, than anywhere else. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm happy to have them, and uh, those times when I want to give up are fleeting, and uh, I'm very grateful for what I have. Oh my gosh, guys, uh, I, d- I did not even get to all the questions. There are so many questions, but I've been talking for a long time, and I can't make this video too long. I do want to let you know, you know, it's like I-, I get questions every single day. I get so many questions. And I, there's no way that I can answer them all. I just can't. Like if I spent all my time answering everyone's questions about their flock, that would be all I would do. I would have no way of offering this kind of free content for you, which I absolutely love to do. One thing I do have is I have a course. I have an online course. It is called Backyard Chickens 101, a chicken course for everyone. Uh, one of the great things about this course is that you get direct access to me. So if you have a question, you can ask me within the course, and I get to those very quickly. I, I really prioritize the my course students, and I get to those really quickly. And And that's how people have been able to get direct access to me. Aside from that, you also learn how to easily decide how many chickens you can keep in a, in a space, in the space that you have. You also learn how to keep baby chicks healthy naturally. You will learn how to have a user-friendly coop that your chickens love, that you and your chickens love. You learn how to keep your chickens safe from wildlife. And you also learn how to have healthy chickens without having to use a whole bunch of medications, you know, treating them preemptively and all this stuff. I talk a lot about things you can do to just like boost your overall, the overall immunity of your flock. So it's really useful in that regard. The best thing is it's hundred percent friendly backyard chickens, education and entertainment. And I know you're going to love it. Friends. Thank you so much for joining me today for this special episode. Thank you to my moderator and co-producer Kelsey Paulus also known as the Chickenlandia Presidential Advisor. Thank you to Talking to Crows for editing this episode and to Double M Ranch for their wonderful podcast art. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it. That helps me so much. But the main thing that I want you to remember above everything else is that you are always welcome in Chickenlandia. Bye. Dalia Monterosso, also known as the president of Chickenlandia, is a backyard chicken educator in Northwest Washington. To submit your question to Bok Talk, visit welcometochickenlandia.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.